0: you up on the latest stories that you should know from around the Sunshine State heading into this Valentine's Tuesday morning February 14th. I'm Sarah Sowers and this is The Point from WUFT News. Five years ago today, Valentine's Day became more than a celebration of love for community members of Parkland, Florida. This year marks the five-year anniversary of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, where 17 people lost their lives that day. Joining me is Kevin Trejos, an MSD and University of Florida alum and co-founder of March for Our Lives, reflecting on his experiences in Parkland and what happened five years ago. Please note that today's episode includes a discussion of a school shooting and events during and after from the perspective of a survivor.
1: A little bit about me is that I uh, grew up in Parkland, Florida since I was two years old. I went to elementary, middle school, and high school there, and I'm uh, an alumni of Marjorie Stubborn Douglas High School, class of 2018. This day has is, is always been a, a very difficult day for me because uh, about five years ago today, there was a, a mass shooting at my school. And so, you know, on the 14th of February every year, it's, it's a day of reflection. It's a day of um, honoring those that you know, did not survive the shooting and, and really just the whole community that was affected by, by everything that happened on on February 14th, 2018.
0: What do you remember from that day and, and where you were and how everything seemed to happen?
1: Well, you know, that day was just like any other school day, at least that's how it started. You know, it was a day that started off full of love, full of hope. It was my senior year, so... Um, you know, we were starting to close out, senioritis was starting to kick in, and, and we were just there having a good time. Um, unfortunately, things changed uh, during our fourth period, our last period of the day. As we were kind of starting to get ready to, to go for the day, I was in my my journalism class. All of a sudden, we, we hear a fire alarm go off, uh, which was a little bit weird because that morning we had actually had a fire drill, a planned fire drill. Um, and they had told us that morning during the fire drill that they were actually looking to, to do a code red drill soon. So code red is an active shooter or some sort of emergency situation like that. And so when we heard the fire alarm again, we thought it was a bit odd because we had already had a fire alarm, but there had been some issues with the the fire system. For a little bit of context, my classroom was located on the on the south side of the campus. Um, and at that point, we had no idea really what was going on, um, because the fire alarm was was triggered um, on the north side of campus by what was going on over there. Um, but yeah, at that point, we decided to eventually evacuate after realizing that you know the fire alarm wasn't going off, and and uh, yeah, so we head downstairs, and as we're as we're going downstairs, we see one of the you know, regular security people, someone who just like patrols the campus throughout the day. Um, And then they start screaming out like, code red, code red, get inside right now. And so we're freaking out because, you know, the urgency and and the way that we were being screamed at was not, not normal. And so we all quickly run into the nearest classrooms we can get into. At this point, we're kind of thinking like, oh, is this real? Is this not real? We don't really know. And some people were saying, there's a shooting, there's a shooting, I heard gunshots. Um, from where I was, I didn't hear any gunshots—at least, not that I can remember. And then eventually, we start seeing uh, text messages. You know, the we had a couple of class group chats and stuff like that um, for you know our AP, AP language class, our, our AP physics class—that you know some of the tougher classes we were taking that year. And uh, so we had group chats and stuff, and people were starting to say. Um, you know, I can't find, I can't find this person. I can't find this person. Has anyone heard from this person? This person won't respond to their text messages. Um, and so basically it was, we were starting to realize, oh sh- shoot, like something real is happening here. Um, some of the people that were in that area of, of campus that were in the building where the shooting was happening were starting to finally text message us and say, there's a shooting, um, it's not good at all, it's not good. It was basically a, another, basically hour or two of her torture as we're sitting there in a closet, hearing noises across the building every time, you know, furniture would move upstairs or there would be like a, a knock or some sort of noise around us, we'd be freaking out, thinking that the shooter was coming to us next. The best, The best information we got besides like, our friends texting us, freaking out um the best information I had was basically the the live feed of news helicopters above air that I somehow was able to get a get a get like a twitter feed of eventually we were starting to hear things about one of our friends, Carmen Shentrup, who was in in one of the rooms um People were saying that that she might have passed. Um, people were trying to figure out what clothes she was wearing that day because someone had a picture of someone on the floor. Um, and it kind of looked like her, you can only see half of her body and you couldn't really see any, anything else. Um, but, but people were trying to figure out from like the bottom half of her outfit, if that was her, because, uh, that was really all the information we had and she wasn't responding to text messages. The second hour we were there was tears and fear and... You know, just not knowing if you were next, texting your family saying, "There's a shooter on campus. I don't know if I'm gonna make it, but I love you so much." Um, I knew that was that was something that I had to do, and you know, that's probably the worst message a parent can receive is hearing from from their child that they're in potentially an imminent danger. I told my parents. I told my I texted my parents in a group chat. I was like hi, there's a there's a shooter on campus, but I'm safe. I'm okay. Um, Don't come to campus right now. It's filled with police. You know, you send that message and you don't know if you're safe. You don't know if you're okay, but you got to do the best you can to to protect those around you, especially, you know, your family and, and stuff like that.
0: And Kevin, what happened? Were you able to meet up with your parents? And what happened once you were already at home?
1: So um, I found my mom by the library. She took me home and uh, basically I just spent the next 10 hours until like three in the morning glued to the TV, to the local news, trying to hear any news, glued to my phone, seeing if the group chat had any more information. We were trying to contact um, the family of, I mean, for us, like the person that we were almost close to, the person I had class with that morning in first and third period um, was Carmen Chentrup. Um, someone I considered a friend, someone who, you know, hours before her passing, we uh, gave a lovely, a lovely sonnet during our, our AP, AP lit class. Because <laughs> um, our, our task that day was to write a sonnet about, like, to our mothers or something like that. And she actually wrote a beautiful one. She was a very, very smart person. That night, we didn't really hear anything back. And then the next morning, we woke up to the news that she had passed. And we had heard about you know, other people like Joaquin Oliver and, and Pollock, people that I've known since I was I don't know, like eight years old. <laughs> you know, I've I've known these people for at least ten years growing up with them in elementary school, and middle school. Parkland's a very small, small, tight knit community. People who live there tend to, you know, if they if they move there during elementary school, they they stay living in Parkland for a long time if they can.
0: And this community that you talk of. How did you guys all move forward together? And can you comment a little bit about the resiliency of this community and the efforts that followed?
1: Obviously, the the shooting was major news for for many weeks, and uh, we were in a unique situation where I think past shootings like Sandy Hook was was elementary schoolers was little kids, Um, but you know, unfortunately, little kids can't really speak up for themselves in the way that the high schoolers can, that you know, near adults can. <laughs> and so we did our best to to express our outrage, to talk to anyone who would listen. And so you know, a lot of us were tweeting out using this "never again" hashtag, <laughs> and uh, it started to gain steam. March twenty fourth, twenty eighteen, we were going to have March for Our Lives we were going to march on washington <laughs> i mean the truth is we were just a bunch of kids trying to all make this march happen and then later uh later keep the momentum going to to make sure that that laws would get passed and that we'd keep doing activism and that we'd create a generation of students who had a place to you know express their opinions who had a network of of other you know like-minded leaders um, that they could rely on and work with
0: and do you think this has impacted your job today and what you studied while you were at UF
1: yeah absolutely um so I was always interested in politics and you know government and, and public service and being able to do good through government um and what that that experience showed me was that one you know even, even kids can make a difference that if you, you know, it's, it's hard to say that just one voice matters because the truth is it's very difficult to make that one voice matter, but if you can rally up enough voices, um, eventually people listen. And so through that experience where we were were able to do that, I, I was very motivated and, and, you know, inspired and eventually realized that (laughs) that it wasn't going to be as easy as maybe we had hoped but that you know over the course of many years or however long it takes that, that stuff does change laws do get changed things do improve um it just unfortunately takes much longer than i than i ever wanted it to much longer than we ever expected but are the lessons that you know we've learned over the past five years um so i i I think i always wanted to be like a political science major um which is what i eventually studied and earned a bachelor's degree in um and i always wanted to move to dc and work in government here and and try and make a difference um but after the shooting i you know after i went to college i kind of wanted to step away from that space i think initially i Still wanted to do a lot more, but I, it was weighing too much on me. And working in this gun violence prevention space becomes a very emotionally tolling journey because, you know, like one of the things we did after in the months following March for Our Lives was we were connecting with a lot of local communities across the country, um, communities that had affected by gun violence, you know, both in like, the mass shooting way but also in you know where gun violence is everyday life and where you know parents lose kids just while they're you know walking to the store or whatever um and that was really tough but for us it was really important to make sure that we knew about those stories and and learned as much as we could from you know different communities and, and different people um to make sure that we are being as informed as possible when speaking to lawmakers, when developing policy points, when you know, trying to get everyone else across the country on the same page about what we believed in. I'm still motivated, motivated as hell actually, (laughs) to keep improving the world around me.
0: And then just thinking about wrapping up, was there any message that you wanted to give listeners about the kinds of reflections five years after this tragedy?
1: Yeah, well, the fight isn't over. It might not ever be over, but there's still so much you can do. You can obviously still contact your representatives, tell them that this is an issue that still matters to you. Um, Speak upon your own experiences if if you've unfortunately had any with gun violence. Um, You know, and also just hug your loved ones. (laughs) You know, appreciate what you have, and try not to be afraid. The world kind of sucks sometimes, but but there's plenty of good, and uh, you can always be uh, a beacon of hope and a, a beacon of, of love and all of the good vibes in the world. And that's that's the least we can do. It's just to be good people in in a somewhat twisted world. But there's more good people than bad people. so there's still reasons to believe and you know just don't forget the stories of the past don't forget Alyssa and Scott and Mark and Nick and Aaron, Jamie, Chris Luke, Kara Gina, Joaquin, Elena, Maddo Carmen, Peter and Alex you know their legacy lives on and uh, yeah we'll make a better world their their deaths will not be be forgotten, will not be in vain.
0: That was Kevin Trejos, an MSD alum and co-founder of March for Our Lives. Now, he works for the Environmental Protection Agency in Washington, D.C. as a political appointee, pursuing a career he said he hopes makes the world a better place. Now, for today's top stories. Community members in Alachua County are speaking up about Forever Chemicals. WUFT reports a new study by the Environmental Working Group revealed that eating a single freshwater fish is equal to drinking water with high PFAS levels for a month. PFAS can be found in products such as Teflon pans, rain gear, waterproof makeup, fast food packaging, and biosolids used in agriculture. The College Board could lose more than a political fight with Florida over its Advanced Placement African American Studies course. WFSU reports Governor Ron DeSantis has suggested the state should seek alternatives to the testing system. The College Board administers the SAT test for college admissions along with the popular AP courses that allow high schoolers to earn college credit. The highly endangered Florida panther was just given a little more land on which to roam. WGCU reports 661 acres in Highland County along the Florida Wildlife Corridor were added to protected habitat. The land joins the 18-million-acre network of public and private lands, waterways, and wildlife habitats that stretch from the Everglades to the Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia. Subscribe to The Point newsletter, which drops the latest Florida stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit wuft.org to subscribe and view our most recent issues. I'm Sarah Sowers, and you have been listening to The Point. From WUFT News, out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Tuesday.